One thing that I always tell merchants is uh, you have your face and your face can be a marketing asset. That is something that the, the big brands do not have and that is uh, something you can use for your own advantage. Nothing's more memorable to a human than a human face and especially the kind of uh, human face with uh, personality. You have uh, Instagram, you have YouTube, you have these uh, potential engagement pointers and at the same time helps you as well because it's uh, going to be a lot more trustworthy right? from uh, somebody that is all out in the open rather than somebody who seems to be hiding a little bit that uh, a lot of the dropshippers tend to do. You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. My talk with Samuel Larson of Crow Gurus is jam-packed with the kind of high-value e-commerce content you crave. You're going to want to get your pen and paper ready. Sam has a distinct background in professional poker, a game that, as he puts it, punishes you for losing the closer you are to winning. It's the kind of risk-taking venture we in e-commerce, or frankly business at large, have to be prepared for. Let me ask you something. Have you ever played poker just for fun? Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay, it's possible, but you know as well as I do that poker is a game played to be won. And after you're done today's episode, you too should put your mind in that state. Samuel Larson, it is good to have you here in Ecomonics. I thank you for joining us today. I know you're, uh, you're a busy fella, so how are you doing? How are you feeling today? Thank you. My pleasure. Feeling all good. Uh, it's been a good year for e-commerce, uh, not a good year for the world, but uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, we'll take it now. So there, there's, there's some proportionality to it, right? Like a, for it to be a good year in e-commerce, there had to be a, a lack in, uh, in other areas too. Uh, it's, it's just showed how important e-commerce is in order to keep the world running as smoothly as it can under the circumstances. Yes. There's like nature and capitalism. They, they do tend to balance things out. So they've done a good job here. Well, you know, um, uh, maybe down the line we can, uh, uh, we, I don't know about today, but like at some point I'd love to get into a chat about like how natural capitalism is and isn't. And for the record, I'm like, I am pretty pro-capitalism. I recognize there's flaws, but you know, um, just the nature of trade and people wanting to exchange goods for each other. It gets, once, once we stop trying to hit each other with rocks, that's like one of the things that like comes up, you know? Yes. You need to have incentives for people to stop doing that. And uh, yeah. <laughs> making money and making wealth for yourself and uh, people around you is a good incentive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all, it's, uh, there's so many ways that we can characterize it. You know, do good for others, solve problems. I think that's my favorite one in e-commerce, which is solve problems for others. And I think that uh, speaks a lot to why marketing is important, is identifying people's problems and offering the solution to it. With that said, we've got a very important question for you. I've asked everybody, well, pretty much everybody. I might have like skipped the first few because I forgot to like... I didn't think of the question at the time, but whatever. Um, Tell us who you are and what do you do? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm Samuel Larson. I'm the founder of uh, zerogurus.com. So we are a Shopify optimization agency, and we focus on helping you as a merchant get the most out of your existing traffic. So once the traffic hits the page, that is where we focus on. And we focus on uh, working on conversion optimization, average order value optimization and purchase frequency optimization. So keeping that loop going from a first lander to all the way to a repeat customer. 
So, so once the customers arrive, um, so, so, so marketing is something that I don't know, you can advise on if possible, but it's really more like the, the marketing is the, uh, is your clients and your partners. How do you characterize them by the way? Just so I know, do you refer to the people who work with you as clients? Do you refer to them as partners, patron? Yeah. I usually like to think of, they start off as clients, but ideally everybody ends up as partners, but that mm-hmm. will only happen once uh, we worked on through several months and get good results for these clients. And that's uh, when uh, you start to get to know their business also quite intimately. And uh, you are really pulling through the same strings as they are on a long-term basis. Yeah, I mean, just to uh, relate to... Well, what I was doing prior to e-commerce and long-time listeners can be like, well, I can do now for the next two minutes because I've heard this before, but whatever. It's um, I, I, when I was doing editing and, and freelance work, yeah, I would call them clients, but I, I, I wanted to view them more as partners and the idea that while they are going to compensate me for my time, I knew that the more I put into it, the more value I was willing to provide, A, helped retain customers, retain their business, but also it... It, show, it, it, it helped me sleep at night too because I knew that I was um, investing long-term in the project's growth. I wasn't just taking the money and running. I was doing everything I could think of, really just to, for my own self-preservation uh, at, the, at the very least, to like, make sure that like, this, this show sticks around. And what I also found too is that like, there was a, a churn rate where I would have to churn people out. But really the people I turned out were people that like, I just didn't want to deal with anymore people who uh, had personality conflicts or were mm. taking too much advantage, uh, paying too much, but you know, paying paying too little, working too much. So yeah, um, I, I would like to hear about you know some of your some of your client experiences, uh, which we'll table because I I'm, I was racking my brain trying to think have we talked about uh, CRO before, and I feel like we have. Like it's it's a I mean, it's definitely an, an important subject, and and I've talked to quite a few people so. Um, if if any if any listener can call me out on this and say yeah actually uh, it was this guy uh, like uh, two weeks ago he talked about for CRO uh, email podcast at because I owe you a coke but other than that can you let us know what is conversion rate optimization I just, you know I, I mean I I've, I know I've heard of it before but let's uh, let's give it to our listeners from the beginning conversion rate optimization is a term is a bit outdated you could say since uh, you are really not optimizing for conversion rate anymore, especially on e-commerce. The other important metrics there are, of course, average order value as well. And one way you could optimize if you just wanted to improve your conversion rate would be to lead with your cheapest products. But if you do that, what's going to happen to your profits and your margins, like they're all going to go down and uh, you're not going to have a business. So what we're more focused on is uh, conversion optimization or optimizing for the right conversion and then also optimizing for backend conversions as well. And mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of finesse to it, of course, because uh, oftentimes if you optimize for average order value, you are hurting your conversion rate. So it's a little bit of a sliding scale and you're constantly trying to balance that uh, to maximize for that uh, revenue per user or revenue per visitor rather than the conversion rate. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you said uh, one thing that you mentioned is about if people um, put too much emphasis on their cheaper products, and even if it even if it sells and ships, it doesn't uh, bring in enough profitability to keep the business sustainable. Now, when I heard that, it reminded me of um, the term loss leader, where there are products that are sold at a good enough value to the customer to want to get them to uh, interact with the business, 
And then over time, they'd be more inclined to uh, start looking into the higher ticket items and the higher ticket purchases or just build that, that long-term loyalty. And to use like, I, I'm going to use a very um, a grassroots, like brick and mortar example. My, my parents would go to a, a Lebanese bakery and they would sell the vegetable. I don't, I'm stuck on shawarma and I know it's not shawarma. Samosas, that's it. And they would sell the, the uh, you know, veggie samosas and they would sell them for cheap, but it got people in the door and it gave people a chance to look around. So I'd like to, uh, I'd like to jump on that for, for a second is, um, have you, have you experienced people like properly using their loss leaders in a way that then successfully converts into the higher ticket purchases? I have. Getting people in the door has a little bit of a different meaning in e-commerce. Since uh, if you think of um, a physical experience of going to a store, and purchasing from there, you are committing to that like uh, physical moment there, as well as uh, seeing the people there and uh, seeing all the different things. With e-commerce, mm-hmm. you can just go straight to the product, hit the product page, and hit checkout, and then you are going to get the product like sometime later. Within this time frame, it's very po- possible that you even forgot the entire store where you ordered from. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, there's like uh, where it gets a little bit trickier to lead with cheaper products. And most likely there's a little bit less um, of value in the e-commerce world to do that compared to the physical world. Like if you think of uh, how Walmart, for example, built itself, there was uh, always something on sale that was like ridiculously cheap. And then you'd go there, you'd uh, get a couple of other products uh, on the cart and then uh, you'd go back to see what's uh, on sale now. Um, but with e-commerce, it's uh, quite different because uh, you are often just uh, bombarded with so many options and it's so easy to hop on from store to store. So there, this principle is uh, less powerful. However, you can think of it as um, a loss leader where it leads to back-end offers and upsells. And right now, these are very easy to set up, uh, for example, in Shopify, because Shopify just uh, started this uh, integration. It's uh, now natively built into it, where you can offer up very easily. So I think we are going to see a little bit of a resurrection of this uh, kind of uh, model, where people are leading out with those uh, cheaper offers, and then trying to break even on the front end, if possible, and making sure that they can uh, then monetize that on the end. Um, so one parallel that I'd like to draw then is because you're saying about people walk into a business and a, a physical location. Uh, and I laugh because uh, last time, I mean, basically the only time I get to do that is when I go shopping at our local no frills or the, the subway. So it doesn't come out very often, but there is a lot of uh, effort put into it. And you can almost say that what goes on in the store to create the experience is part of the marketing. Because you think of like a coffee shop, for instance, um, the coffee is... Uh, probably where, like, where they make the money, but they also uh, charge a premium for it. I could, I could spend a quarter of that money if I just made the coffee for myself at home. Um, but there might be books there. It might smell nice. There might be like a rustic chair that like is really good for my lumbar. Um, so with uh, stores, now you have to forgive me if this isn't where you focus because I'm still learning about if, if you lean more towards like um, optimization on the back end or optimization on the front end. So you can definitely help me break that down. But what examples have you seen of stores trying to mimic that experience to keep customers more compelled? Um, is it color scheme? Is it using stuff like affiliate marketing, remarketing, blogs? Um, what, what, do, what are customers doing to make their experience more memorable, which I presume leads to better conversion? Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Okay, this is a great question. And I'd like to think of it as in terms of uh, why should people buy from you as opposed to buying from Amazon? And what are the opportunities for you to differentiate as a Shopify store owner compared to fulfillment by Amazon merchants? And there you do have some really key areas that you can focus on. Now, people in general, they don't like or they would prefer to buy from the Momopop compared to Amazon. You have so much more personality there. You can show that you are an expertise in this niche, etc. So you have a ton of advantages. Now, the question is, how do you provide a unified experience that is so powerful, not only in terms of brand expertise, but also emotionally relevant? in a way that the people are then going to remember. So that's a very key thing, because if you're not able to stick to people's minds, then you are going to be that one order shop at most. And consumers, as you mentioned there with the coffee experience, like the coffee is probably quite similar in quality. However, the experience is what you're paying for in that example. and that can be the key differentiator between a store where you just get the product, Amazon, for example, or similar things versus uh, your store. So what can you provide beyond the product, whether it's like things like even packaging or backend messaging, email flows, experience, expertise, like all this additional value. But the, the tricky thing, too, I guess, about me using Coffee Shop as the parallel is that people hang out there. And so while a store can have a, a great shopping experience, people don't hang out there so much. Uh, there's not like a, there's not risk, you know, on the shelf that they can, they can pull out and play with their friends. So hanging out on a store uh, is uh, online. It seems to me that like one of the main things to do that is content is having a blog or even going as far as like a video series so that customers will actually like stick around and actually feel like they're starting to hang out. But there's another divide there too, which is the lack of the social experience is that when people go and they hang out in the store, it's all like on their own. Uh, have you seen uh, stores where they actually will have maybe like, um, I guess you can have reviews where you can see what other people are saying, but there's no like interaction between uh, the different customers. Yeah. People and stores have tried to solve this. For example, if you look at the looks reviews, those photo reviews that you have on the product pages, that is all about the social experience and identifying with the other customers. So that is one way to do it. But one thing that I always uh, tell merchants is uh, you have your face and your face can be a marketing asset. That is something that the, the big brands do not have. And that is uh, something you can use for your own advantage. So there, nothing's more memorable to a human than a human face. And especially the kind of uh, human face, face with uh, personality. So definitely use that. But I'll also say... You need to move the thinking from just a one-click thinking where you are going over to Facebook and trying to get people with advertising to thinking of these multiple touch points, like you mentioned. So you do have something beyond just the Facebook ad. You have Instagram, you have YouTube, you have these potential engagement pointers that people can go and see, okay, I get what this brand is about. And at the same time, helps you as well, because it's uh, going to be a lot more trustworthy to buy from uh, somebody that is all out in the open. 
rather than somebody who seems to be hiding a little bit that uh, a lot of the dropshippers tend to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it, it, this isn't like an, an exact parallel, but dropshippers tend to also be protective of like, what store they're running when they're when they're showing it to uh, on their YouTube pages, which, by the way, I, I totally understand because if they reveal it, then there's nothing stopping it from being mimicked uh, top to bottom. They can mimic the product, they can mimic the app copy, they can mimic uh, all of it. So, so that I get. But yeah, you are right. Like there is a a bit of a protectiveness in it, and I think what it does is it it separates the people who have taken the idea of the dropshipping gold rush to heart. Uh, where they they are viewing it as like the get rich quick scheme, um, which I I don't want to encourage because um, this is this this may have, at one point during development could have just could have would have should have been just a, a dropshipping podcast, but then we said well no this is a business podcast this is going to be about something that is uh, core to really most human interaction in one way or another, and so you get the other side of you people who who mean it when they sell something, and and you, and you don't necessarily have to like. You don't have to pour every last vestige of your heart and soul into it. Like one of the products I'm working on, which I will reveal because for me, it's just learning. It's those drawers that you can stick to the bottom of your desk. Like, I like this thing. I'm ordering it. I'm going to use it. You know, I, I'm, I'm okay with like sharing some of my own experience with it. It's not like I'm, 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 I'm ripping my heart out or anything like that. So, so that all uh, is the like is the emotional side, and I think that does uh, tangibly uh, boost uh, conversion. And another thing too that I thought was a cool observation is that the brand itself is not just relegated to the store. The brand is on the socials. Uh, the brand could have its own uh, video presence on YouTube. And so, in a way, what it's doing is it's compelling the user to hang out with the brand. And by hanging out with a brand, they are going to be interacting with other people who are also involved in the brand as well. Like you go on the Instagram, yeah, you can check out their posts, you can comment on that, and then other people will respond. And so you actually get that interactivity. Yeah. Which is actually at that point, it becomes an advantage over a, over a coffee shop. Whereas like, if I, 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 if I, if I know I want to go there physically, I don't care so much about the social uh, side of it because I, in my mind, I'm like, my, the point of all of this is to go there and, physic- and physically be there. Yeah, absolutely. I'd also say, like, um, as a business owner, one of your goals should be to have a sellable business. Even if you don't want to sell it, but it should be sellable. So we can think of this in terms of, like, how do we increase the value of the business? And one of the ways to increase this is to build a little bit of a moat around your business. So if your business is uh, a dropshipping business, which, by the way, I'm not dissing at all. It's a completely legitimate business model and uh, a great way to get started you can start thinking of uh, building a little bit of a protection around it. So if there's a lot of uh, competition going, you are not uh, just relying on those Facebook ads. And uh, as soon as the competition comes, like you have to find a new product. So they are providing uh, real value, providing something that uh, people can identify with, whether it is, uh, uh, for example, content or something similar, will help you also build uh, a more all-around, well-thought-out traffic strategy that is not so vulnerable to small changes like uh, Facebook banning you or things like this. Uh, the the guy on YouTube, uh, Connor, um, him and I were being taught by uh, by Ricky Hayes, who um, is the co-founder of Debutify, and we set up a store just to, like practice running Facebook ads. He put the uh, Connor put, puts the ads out. His account gets restricted because um, here's what happened: it had sent the product to. Well, the link took it to the specific product page 
which was supposed to be a no-no. You're supposed to send it like to the main landing website. Uh, and then my account, I just found this out like two days ago. My account got restricted too. I didn't even, I didn't even run the ads. I was, uh, I was guilt by association. So <laughs> yeah, Facebook is, um, it, it's kind of, it's chaotic in there, but you know, we, we do have to depend on it, uh, a, a great deal for the advertising. So, so this is all really good. This is all the, uh, the importance of, uh, the human, the human being first and foremost, the business and, uh, rooting for them as opposed to, um, rooting for, for Amazon. And, and I think like Amazon in particular, and, and I love that, like everybody that I've talked to who is like a fan or is like a part of the Amazon culture is like totally okay with mentioning about like how Amazon has a very bad reputation for the way they treat their employees. And uh, if, you know, if Amazon wants to come at me for saying that, you know, uh, bring it, honestly, that's just only going to injure people to me anyways. And so we have, so we have that. I mean, it's not even like a neutral thing. Like Amazon is like, I don't know. I, I don't have any data on this, but I think people feel like crap when they order from Amazon uh, a large part, either like they don't know what what's going on or they know and they're like, well, I got to get it somewhere. Yeah. Amazon for many parts is like um, it's a, a product catalog and you buy based on price and reviews. That's uh, what you do, but you don't have any kind of uh, bigger feelings about those brands or buying them for a specific reason. It just uh, seems like a good choice. That's it. And that mm-hmm. emotional aspect is um, just completely missing. It's a, a transaction. Yeah, it, it completely is. Um, so for, so for listeners who maybe have uh, missed the episode with uh, Steve Pope, uh, who's uh, my Amazon guy, uh, <laughs> his brand, and I suppose he is my Amazon guy at this point, uh, but he made the point of like, the bed that I, we ordered, we ordered from Amazon. I can't remember the name of the brand and I've been sleeping on it for six months now. I, I, I touched my bed more than I touched my girlfriend and yet I'm not connected to the brand and I'm not connected to Amazon. So with that all of that out of the way, that's all really important. I'm glad we brought that up because uh, I, I wanted to, to hear your, your take on the importance of the, the human side of it. But I want to know what are the other pillars to optimization? Uh, do, do we also get into the technical side of it where we have to look at what apps are running, um, the website loads at times? Uh, what are some of the key pillars that you look into for helping make sure the websites are running as smoothly as possible, leaning more towards backend than frontend in this case? Yeah, so in that case, like... What you first want to do before you can be very persuasive and smart, for example, with your copywriting, the very basic thing you need to have is accessibility and functionality. And that's where the things you, things you mentioned there, load times and a technically functioning store are very important. So what happens oftentimes with Shopify themes is that once you start populating them, they break here and there a little bit since the, they are not configured to work with uh, all different texts and text sizes, fonts, different images, different size of images. And then store owners, it's like an iceberg. That, like They only see that there's a couple of things that could be wrong on the store. And there's a whole another thing underneath when it comes to technical possible responsivity issues that uh, need to be mapped out. And the way we do it is uh, simply picking up the devices, the most popular devices, and going through the store. It's uh, manual, it's tedious, and uh, oftentimes it's quite time-consuming. However, these are the greatest things to find out because we have such high confidence that if we fix a technical bug, 
if this button is not working on iPhone 11 and we fix it, like uh, we're going to get more conversions from iPhone 11. Uh, so that's a, that's a nice immediate win that the store owners can do and take. And definitely they should investigate these issues on a regular basis because they are so common. And there on the other side, you often have uh, store owners that they have tried to make their store convert better by adding more stuff to it. So it's just like constantly adding more stuff. Uh, more stuff meaning more apps, more images, uh, more video, like everything. And there you start hitting that point where more apps is not going to help your store convert better. It's just going to hurt you because uh, apps cause load time issues. And there you often get into this situation as well, like where you have three or four overlaying elements on mobile and the side just looks very trashy and cheap because of that. <laughs> and yeah, these are all things that you need to find the balance there. Okay. Uh, I wanted to ask about the apps in particular, because my, what I'm thinking is you're talking about the apps that are installed on the back end and Shopify. So it's, so it's not like that they're all necessarily front facing, but these are all things running in the background that are starting to eat away at the website's ability to load. What's the average, like under three seconds, under two seconds, something along those lines? You'd really want to get there. However, when we look at the sites, on average, we see more like four to seven seconds. That's what I'd say is a more typical average. And when you have people on mobile phones, they can be very impatient. And a good way to think about this is if you've ever seen a teenage girl use Instagram and how fast they can go, that's your mobile shopper. They have no patience at all. Yeah, well, I mean, I was just thinking, I was like uh, uh, scrolling through a, a a subreddit. Well, it's actually a sub, it's not actually on a Reddit because the community was taken off Reddit. That's a little clue for the listeners if you want to learn more about me. But anyways, the uh, <laughs> I, got, I was starting to get impatient. I'm like, man, all right, I closed it. And then I reopened the subreddit again because I was so compelled to find something new. I'm like, did I just like get bored of this? And then my first reaction was to go back to the same thing. Yes, yes, it was. I, I got to ask about this. Like, how do people like start like removing the ones that are? Uh, I imagine that people are putting apps in because they think they're going to help. So, like, what apps do people think are helping? And they're, and it turns out that maybe they're like the redundant, where another app already is is handling it, or. It's uh, it's not implemented correctly. Um, I, I don't know if we want to start like calling out ones in, in particular because it might work for one person but not for another. But uh, how 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 do we uh, churn out what apps we don't need? Yeah, you before you start installing this randomly, I'd say think of the strategy and what you're really looking to achieve with the app. Because uh, many times uh, you can in- uninstall them, but the, they still leave some code into the themes. So you'd have to go and manually uninstall them. So it, it can be a little bit uh, tricky there. But um, I'd say like generally you're just looking to have one app per function. So if you think of uh, what you're looking to do in terms of changing user behavior. So for review app, let's say you have the photo review app. That's uh, like clearly you're looking to have social proof and trust. That's what you're looking to achieve with that app. Mm-hmm. Now, do you still need that thing that says like uh, two minutes ago somebody from San Jose bought uh, this thing? Like uh, you have now less need for that thing. 
And there you need to consider like whether that's going to be right. helpful. Um, and that's like your overall app strategy, as I would take it. And at some point, like uh, you're going to have enough. There's enough social proof here. We don't need any more. And if we start like pouring more, it's just going to pour over from the bucket. Like uh, you can't pour more water than is needed in the day. Yeah, it overflows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it overflows. So what you want to do there is uh, make sure that uh, you have taken care of these things. And uh, once you have a sufficient level on that, uh, you can stop and focus on other things. Because it is also very difficult to hit on all of these pointers. So let's say you want to explain your value proposition well, have your social proof in place, uh, have uh, some technical information there, like covering all of these different things, delivery information. Like there's so many boxes that uh, you need to still explain. Uh, You want the whole to make sense rather than uh, have a a random bunch of like million tactics that uh, you're running. Right. So it's, it's about setting the objectives first and then uh, recognizing um, which apps can provide the most amount of value by clearing as many of those objectives as possible. So a great one that stuck out to me is when we have the, this person bought it at this time in this place. Well, if you also have the photo review app, then it becomes redundant because as long as you're proving that there's activity, you don't need the, the first one and you can uh, extend the value of the second one. Now, now granted, I mean, I suppose if you if I if I really wanted to uh, get into like each individual blade of grass, one of it covers the purchases, the other covers the reviews. Um, so one is dynamic and one is like posted. So uh, it's I don't know. I, I was just like making sure I gave it its due, yeah. but really like the reviews imply that purchases were made. So yeah, exactly. It implies that, and the strongest way to communicate anything is implying it. So if you have that thing there mm-hmm. and it looks real because uh, well you it's much uh, more difficult to fake photo reviews from customers or supposed customers than having the widget okay like somebody bought like two minutes ago so there you achieve the same goal without uh, risking that uh, somebody might see through it well i think one thing that the uh instant purchase uh widget does that I, I can't also say that the review app does is create the uh, fear of missing out or just the, the sense of urgency. Uh, I think that it does put a little bit more immediate pressure on the customer because they see that stuff is actively happening. Um, so let's say we, we ax that one. Um, what do you recommend in specific to uh, keep the sense of urgency going and create the, uh, the FOMO going? Yeah, there's a few different ways. The easiest way is uh, to have... Uh, Something is going to ship today if you order it uh, within the next, uh, uh, let's say, 30 minutes or something like that. And make that number random, of course. So that's going to be pretty powerful. Like, okay, this is uh, makes sense. Also, you can have uh, real-time discounts. So we use this all the time with stores. If you have uh, some kind of a day that you can celebrate, it can be a bit random as well. Let's say you have International Women's Day. Now, you can totally have a sale that is going to end on certain day, certain hour. And that way you can have a very legitimate uh, urgency there. And of course, you can run the sale in two weeks again. But that way, it is uh, believable. And it also doesn't hurt your brand as much. Because uh, then you are just running a sale. Another thing there that can help is... uh, 
having a specific landing pages that you are looking to use or campaigns that come from your social. So it's a campaign, clearly, because people, when they go to the store, they don't see the same discount. So on that uh, store page, the price is a lot higher, or a little bit higher at least. And now you feel inclusive about that. People value that a lot more when it is something that they feel like they earned or they feel like they're in a smaller club compared to other option yeah uh one thing i was just imagining if like i don't know if anybody's done this but if i would like uh, check the check the calendar and mark off every single last day even like to the most specific like uh, uh our our day of revelation for saint francis of the cc sale get 20 percent off yeah so. uh, it's uh, it sounds ridiculous but it still works i mean there's all kinds of associations and uh, all those kind of things that like have have days so Today, there's probably like uh, 17 different days that you could uh, celebrate, <laughs> and uh, that's uh, that's completely fine. Yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll see what the Mayan calendar has to say about it, assuming the Mayan calendar uh, is even updated to these days, because I think they, they checked off at, uh, in 2012. Anywho, another thing that I'm wondering, too, uh, and this is important for, for our listeners, because we do have a lot of people in the beginner stage, uh, myself included. I, I, for, for six months, I, I, I didn't, here's the thing. I didn't, I didn't set up a Shopify store at the beginning because it felt almost like it wasn't respectful. Uh, whereas like, you know, they, they're training me to like do the show. They're not training me to like, you know, take my knowledge and run. But eventually I said, okay, you know what? I can only talk to so many people half my age who, you know, live in a mansion or whatever it is and say, all right, that, that does it. Anyways, I'm, I'm still a beginner though. Uh, so I'm definitely in that, in that learning phase. Um, but then you also have people who are, uh, well on their way, they've hit the 6k range, they've hit the 7k range. And are there similarities and differences in optimizing for a big company versus a small company? Yes, yes, for sure. So with small company, you are, of course, running with limited resources. So your optimization program oh, yeah. should be a lot smaller because you should be focused more on the traffic and just trying to make that profitable, which, of course, CRO will help as well. And um, if you're still looking to sort of prove your business model or find the right product, their optimization is uh, not going to make that big of an impact for you. Like, of course, it's, again, contextual. So if you have a, a horrible store, uh, then it can be a make or break thing. Now with a, a bigger store, let's say you already have your Facebook ads, your marketing quite dialed in. Now you are probably getting to a point where you are hitting the maximum of that store. And it's almost like a ceiling there. And you cannot break free to the next level until you have taken care of uh, your storefront and uh, all the different things that come into play, like uh, email marketing as well on the back end. So there, your strategy is a little bit different. And the tool belt you can have is also a little bit different. So let's uh, focus on these small stores because most of the listeners are probably more on that side. Now, what you need to be careful of is uh, interpreting the data too much. Because um, you simply don't have all that many conversions. So if you see that uh, there's uh, seven conversions to the desktop and two on the mobile, uh, the conversion rates are like uh, X and Y. You can't say that this is like uh, you have a big problem on mobile conversions, for example. There, So be careful about that. Well, 
there are still like some great tools that you can use. So you can still use all the qualitative tools available, meaning you can still watch user session recordings. You can still go to your body and ask him to make a purchase and like walk through the store. And those are things that I'd recommend definitely to try as a small merchant. And then also you can ask things like, um, do people understand what this is about when uh, they just load the page? And those kind of things are very useful for the smaller merchant. So for smaller merchants, it's more about understanding the customer behavior and really trying to put yourself into that uh, onto those shoes and then trying to optimize it from that perspective. Whereas the big stores, they already have the data. They probably have already mapped out the customer personas and uh, they have a, quite a good understanding of where things are from that perspective. And there it's more about small tweaks rather than big overall uh, changes. And uh, it's more of an evolutionary process, whereas for small merchants, it can be a more of a revolutionary process. Have you uh, come across examples of a store where where the, once they had gone from small scale to larger scale, it had undergone such a transformation that it actually didn't look like the store had scaled up. It almost looked like it had changed tack or it had gone through like a significant rebrand or a change in business model. Because it seems to me that that probably wouldn't work. Uh, you really need to make sure your foundations are set up when you're small so that they uh, hold the ship together once it's large. Yeah, fair. People do get also a bit risk averse when they get that initial success. So very few seven-figure store owners would say, like, I'm ready to throw it all away and test something completely mm -hmm. different. And, well, that might be the case that uh, would enable them to go from seven to eight figures. But most likely it's going to take them from seven figures to six or five figures because uh, they already have something that's working and they're... They don't need to mess with the program so much. There, mm -hmm. we're looking to more keep things that are already working and then build on top of that, and change uh, things uh, on that level. Yeah, uh, that one was a personal curiosity, but I actually would have been surprised if the answer was yes. Was like, yeah, yeah, we, we made it to seven figures. All right, everybody, we're getting into textiles. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, I've, I've been picking on textiles like a lot lately, I don't know why. So this is um, a, a question that uh, I have asked basically any time that I get to talk to somebody who has either like an agency or agency adjacent uh, or provides a service where they have clientele or partners coming in from multiple sources. And one of the key advantages is the ability to aggregate data that can then be used to share with all the different clients. So you learn one thing from group A and it's essential. It could be pivotal information for group K. Have you observed uh, any data that has uh, been collected that really could have only been collected if you've been able to observe patterns in as many people as you had worked with? Yeah, uh, they say that the greatest thing about being a consultant is that you're getting paid to learn. And uh, I completely agree with that. What I think is um, generally like the mumbo. That's what I love. That's why I love what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, one thing that uh, is uh, the overlying theme there. You do see uh, the the rates of add to cards, for example. Like uh, your, you get a very good idea of your benchmarks, and then once you see those uh, changes uh, that have worked for one store, 
you have a, a bit of a mental map of uh, being able to then uh, utilize them on other stores as well. But uh, a few things that uh, probably most people are missing on that uh, we see that uh, have huge impact are post-purchase upsells. So upselling right after the thank you page or right before. So people have already paid for their purchase and now they have an opportunity to add something to their cart. Another thing that we see working quite well is uh, having a free shipping threshold. So most people, mm-hmm. if they're just focused on conversion rate, they would have free shipping on all orders. But oftentimes that's a little bit of a waste of average order value. Because uh, if you are going to have somebody buy for $40, they might as well have bought for $60 and get that free shipping benefit there. And also at the same time, it feels earned. Mm-hmm. Then another thing that uh, we see constantly is uh, how important categorization is. So that uh, you have the right uh, or logical categories and categories that are made for shoppers, not uh, for you as a store owner. So people oftentimes shop by use case rather than categories. So let's say I'm looking for uh, some uh, clothing for hunting, for example. Then uh, that's my use case. Uh, I'm not looking for general uh, jacket that uh, is not uh, suitable for that situation. So there, that uh, helps a lot. And it also makes the site uh, a lot more usable. And another thing I'd say is uh, generally people are a little bit uh, too afraid to also use bundles. So you have people mm-hmm. saying that uh, Hey, I like this kind of products. And there's a few different things that would go very well together with that product. Now, why not offer a bundle on that? Because uh, oftentimes these are bought in together anyway. And that's how long term you should also think of building the business itself. Because uh, you have a certain type of pile, and that buyer is uh, identifying, like, hey, I like this kind of products. Uh, and uh, there's like a whole bunch of circle of products there and uh, you can make a, a lot more value for that customer and also for yourself as a merchant uh, by doing that. Mm-hmm. And, ha- ha- you know, having been a customer myself, even as early as like this morning, is one of the things that I notice about bundles is that it does encourage somebody to maybe get something that they don't think they, they'll need quite as much as what they were there for in the first place but it encourages them to then look for what value that they can get out of it. I don't know, just thinking like a kitchen set, for instance, like a tool that I wasn't expecting to get. Well, hold on a second. Now that I've got this, maybe I should revisit my, uh, uh, my, my dormant passion for, for sushi. Yeah, exactly. Bundles can be the ultimate impulse buy. So you have a product that you were interested in, but now once you get the kitchen set, you might as well like something that's colored the same way or has the same mm-hmm. kind of steel. Um, yeah, it uh, it makes perfect sense to add a little bit more toward that order, and uh, you actually increase the value that way as well. All right, so uh, I know that we we don't have you for uh, too much longer, and uh, this has been jam packed with amazing value. So so far, I'm like 
well, the, the listeners can't see it, but like I told you guys, we're moving on the video pretty soon, but I've just been taking like, you know, as many notes as I can, as I can. So uh, what I'd like to do is, while we still have you, because uh, I know it's not much longer, but I do kind of like want to decompress a bit. Uh, and I do want to get into uh, just a bit of like the, uh, the Samuel Larson backstory. Normally what happens is, by the way, is that like the backstory stuff comes first and then, and then we get into it. And, and I'm finding that this has actually been like a little bit more well, it's nice, it's nice to mix things up. And I always try to base it off what I think is best for the uh, for the guest. So I'll leave it at that. Um, but here is something that uh, well, I th- you told us about, because um, we do have like some pre-dialogue uh, going before uh, before we meet today. But uh, you were a, a professional poker player. Now, I got professional, right? Yeah. Like you used to play professionally? Yeah, I played professionally for five years. So quite a while yeah mm-hmm. so uh, one of the other two like uh, long saying questions that uh, was devised over the course of talking to people in ecomonics has always been you know what were you doing prior to e-commerce and what skills came with you so you were playing poker and i mean that's one thing i also know that you were briefly in business school so if we have time for that i also want to hear that story but i definitely want to make sure we get to the poker stuff so first of all let us really tell us about like you know what, what it was like because it, it sounds Playing poker professionally always sounds like it does sound like fun, and I have enjoyed watching it on television because everybody has well, they have like their 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 uh, their game tools or their their props. Like there's hats, there's sunglasses. Like uh, maybe I might have I might be hallucinating, but I thought I saw somebody in like a bandana or something like that. Uh, one guy had this he had this tactic where he would just socialize constantly, and he was just like shooting a shit, like yeah 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 buddy yeah yeah so yeah anyway that did a step out or go get it get a cigarette, and everyone was just like so annoyed. And I think what he was doing because he was making people, he was trying to like throw people out their game. Uh, so yeah, what was your experience like? And then transition to totally speaking, it just made that word up. Uh, what came with you when you got into e-commerce? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so everybody's poker experience is very unique or different. So mine was uh, none of those things because I worked uh, purely as an online professional tournament poker player. So what oh, okay. I would do is uh, open up uh, anywhere between 12 to 20 tables and uh, make a, a pretty predictable decision every time. But there, the thing is, like um, doing it that uh, on um, a high enough volume, so those decisions get uh, magnified or multiplied rather so many times. I think that's a, a very similar to what a lot of e-commerce store owners do. So you run that ad for a ton of people and uh, you'd like to get a lot of scale toward that. Like um, so. Let's say you sell a $50 product with a $20 profit. And there you need to sell quite a bit to make a full-time living. It's not like you can just sell like a, a few per day and be completely satisfied with your lifestyle. Yeah, you know, people like to sell one airplane and then they retire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's the other extreme about that. But the, in, in a way, it's a, a lot similar to what I'd imagine many e-commerce store owners on a daily basis it's uh, a lot of grind on the computer and it's a lot of discipline to go there and put yourself on the line and uh, focus on that because you can just as well do something else and uh, it's always easy to not work but it's a great teacher from that perspective because the number one people in this world are those that take self-initiative and uh, for e-commerce store owners, that's what they have done. Like they have uh, said, like, "Hey, this is my idea. This is my business. I believe in this so much that nobody else is doing it, but I'm going to do this, and uh, this is what I'm going to do." Um, that kind of mindset 
it's something that you need in order to succeed. But there's there's a lot of similarities there. So poker, I think like if you're looking for a hobby as an e-commerce store owner, pick up poker because it will teach you about psychology. It will teach you to read other people's minds or understanding other people's minds. It will teach you understanding of mathematics. Uh, it will be the ultimate analytical teacher for you. And most importantly, you'll also understand variance a lot better. So when things go bad on a daily basis, as they often do, like let's say your ad runs badly this day, like then you're not going to be there panicking. You understand that like, hey, it's just one day out of many, and you're going to get uh, lucky and unlucky on a, a long string of uh, random events as uh, you should. Sorry, there was one part of that that stuck out to me, but I didn't want to like uh, interrupt where you had said that you had like 20 tables open. Sorry, was that simultaneous? Like all of them were on the screen or you were just like scrolling through tabs? Yeah, there was a few, a couple of screens. And uh, then uh, oh, a couple I have of some okay. of them on top of each other and some of them are laid out differently. I figured out an entire system and it's uh, sort of uh, optimizing the system as well. Similar to what you would uh, have uh, optimizing some of your day-to-day things. Like you just need to find a, a good way to do it. And uh, yeah, it's uh, at that point, it's uh, it's almost like um, things are happening so fast that uh, the game is uh, sort of running through you. You're not consciously thinking of it. And uh, it can be one of the most engaging experiences uh, you'd ever have. Yeah, you know, so one thing that I tend to think about a lot lately is because I've I played a lot of um, games and I got into a lot of uh, the competitive scenes and and there is a, a philosophy it's called play to win and the issue that I have depending on what game people play is that what they do is they use it as an excuse to do things that are well you know cheap and uh, gives them an, an, an advantage when other people they they're they're drawn to play a game because like they they, they want to play a character or something like that and it only really occurred to me maybe like a week ago or so where I thought, you know what, people, those people who are like doing that in those games, they really valued playing to win and they took that logic to the conclusion. I don't think they would play this game. They would pick a game where, you know, for one, it's more rewarding to win. And two, there's no conflict between like um, some other, why other people might uh, derive joy from it. And I don't want to take anything from like the the joy of playing poker, um, but what I what I find is that poker is very much like this is a game people are playing to win. It's I mean for one it's like it is gambling. You know you're putting money on the line, um, so there is that element to it. Um, but I but I think for people who you know also want to learn how to win, um, I would actually I was thinking yeah poker is probably like the game to play. I mean the chess. But like did you did you find that uh, your 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 system and your your logic or even you know your algorithm or however you want to describe it uh, did that teach you how to win yeah i'd say so because uh, in poker like maybe like similar to facebook ads like if you do a fa- bad facebook ad you're gonna lose money if you pick the wrong audience so one thing that is great about poker is that there's a penalty for losing and that yeah. can be scary that can take uh, make some people like not want to play at all but uh, that's uh, what the uh, also makes that winning mentality so important and also forces you to play to win. Uh, so you do have a penalty. And there's this saying that uh, 
in sports, like it's okay to finish second, you still get paid. But the, in poker, the second place is the, the first loser. Like, uh, and that's uh, if you look at the in, each individual hand, the one that sticks there the most, the longest, and loses on the last street, last betting round, they're going to lose the most money. So, ah, right. I, I didn't know this, but I guess I figured that in a, in a tournament, the people in like second or third might walk away with like, I don't know, their house fee or something like that, but it really is like winner take all. Yeah. In an individual hand, it would be a winner take all. And on tournament, you have this uh, little bit of a price structure where you have. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that's, that's reasonable. I mean, some people they're paying their, you know, they got to pay for their flights back home or stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And, and I think what's important too, is that the parallel between that and Facebook ads is that like, depending on the product, um, other people are playing that hand too. They are also trying to sell that product. And, you know, you, you do want to look at the data and you want to assess the probability and, you know, look at the interest and figure out, you know, how do I, how do I sell this? Because if I don't, there's, there's, if, if a customer looks at two ads, they make up their mind on one and not the other the other person gets nothing. In fact, they lose. So yes. there's a lot of conditioning there too. Absolutely. All right. Well, that would be great. I'm, I, I, I appreciate being able to ask you about that one, but I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we got to get you on out of here. Am I right? Yeah, correct. Yes. It's yeah. been a pleasure yeah, yeah, though. Yeah. It, it, it has been fantastic. So the last question, this is uh, just our, our, our final tradition. Um, if you have any words of wisdom you'd like to impart on people, you know, an answer to a question I didn't ask, this is the chance to do it. And then uh, let people know where they can find you and how they can get involved with what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're interested in, and if you're already getting a little bit of success with your store, you want to take it to the next level, say you have most of your traffic problems figured out, you can uh, check out zerogurus.com. And uh, there you can read more about uh, what I do, what our company does, and how we might be able to help you maximize uh, your Shopify conversions help you with your average order value and your customer purchase frequency as well. And uh, with that said, like, um, thank you for listening. And, uh, all the best for your e-commerce journey. And, and, and thanks to you as well. I learned a lot. Awesome. All right, listeners, uh, thank you all for, for your, uh, your dedication and your attention. And as always, we welcome your feedback. So you know what to do if you want to send it in. And take care. We'll check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you. So whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at Debutify.com. Or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next. <laughs>